at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, September 5th, 2023 edition. Hope everyone had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. I'm Justin Klein. I'm here to help you, help you become a better investor. And it takes one step at a time. You're not going to learn it all in one day or one week or even one year. It takes a long time, but we are here to help you take that next step to give you some actionable material as well as mix in some education so that you can broader broaden not broader broad in your uh, your vocabulary your understanding of the investing dynamics that are important to making smart decisions so of course your contributions are vital to today's show your questions and comments are always welcome and you can call right now at 888-99-CHART and talk to us live or leave a message on a later show. Now, we'll, take, we'll talk about the market performance up next, as well as give you a rundown of today's show topics. But first, let's go to our first call, caller question at 888-99-CHART. Justin, wanted to get your take on United Parcel Service, symbol is UPS. Looks like it's had a rough go of it lately here, but I was looking at it as a, a potential long-term hold for the dividend and some price appreciation. I would just like to get your take on it, and uh, if you thought it was a, a good company to invest in, we thought a good entry point would be. Thank you. All right, this is United Parcel Service, and they certainly did very, very well during the pandemic. Why? Well, everyone was at home ordering things on their couch. And a lot of stores were closed or put out of business. And so ordering online was a more convenient and easier option. And that made their earnings go up pretty dramatically from that $7.53 in 2019 all the way to nearly $13 per share last year. But this year, expected to fall 25% down to $9.64. And in general, you're seeing a reversion to the mean when it comes to its earnings. Now, is it going to go back all the way to $8 per share? I think that's certainly possible. Analysts, while having a somewhat positive outlook for next year, 10% growth back to $10.62 next year, those analyst estimates are continuing to come down. And so is the stock price. Peaked out right around $200 per share, just shy. Now it's at $164, below all the major moving averages, and the technicals look atrocious. And so it likely is, is headed lower, at least to the 155 level. And if it breaks that, that's a major break, and probably the next level it's going to go to is around the 125 level. Now it's at 164-ish uh, right now. So I see no reason to get in front of this. You also have the 
I believe they had the strike. Was it UPS? Was it FedEx? I can't. I think it was UPS had the strikes. And just in general, the cost of doing business and hiring workers is going up, and it's a very labor-intensive business. We know that. We all have UPS drivers running around our our uh, our neighborhoods and our maybe our office parks, etc. And that that takes a lot of people. Now, technology helps, but you're never going to get around it. It's always going to require a lot of people. And we know demographics. Demographic growth is not great here in the U.S. And that means the bargaining power of the workers is going to continue to rise, as you've seen as of late. So the technicals aren't lining up. The the, the trends in earnings aren't lining up. And the demographics of the country aren't lining up either. So I'm completely passing on UPS until it gets probably closer to 130, 120, somewhere in that range. All right. Let's go to Sid in North Carolina. Let's talk about LBRT. Hi, Justin. Thank you so much for taking time to pick up my call. Of course. Uh, I picked up this one uh, maybe a quarter ago. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I heard on this show or how did I pick up, but it has actually given me a good return of 40% growth so far. Uh, but lately I heard in another follow-up questions that this is not something that Steve was excited about this uh, name. Now, since I'm already at 40% profit, should I sell it off? I don't have a more than 0.2% of my portfolio. So should I hold it or sell it off and take the profit off the table? appreciate your guidance no problem glad you're uh, you've had some nice growth out of it i don't remember where you picked it up but this is uh, an oil service company they mainly focus on fracking hydraulic fracking pressure pumping here in the united states here in north america and it's still a smallish name about a two billion dollar market cap with pretty much no debt on its balance sheet i like that nice nice clean balance sheet it's trading at about two and a half times enterprise value to EBITDA. That's pretty cheap. Uh, let me look at the chart here. The chart is strong, like a lot of the oil service names. I honestly have no problem with it. It's certainly going to be more volatile than most energy names, most oil service names, because how small it is and that it's primarily almost completely focused on fracking. And fracking has a higher break-even point, although that's come down over the years. It still tends to be a more volatile business than your traditional uh, oil and gas wells. So as long as you think oil prices are going up, this is kind of going to have that nice operating leverage to it. And the technicals are fine. The fundamentals are fine. I see no issues here. To be honest with you, it's supposed to make three dollars and nine cents this year, two seventy four next year, down a little bit, but it's a seventeen dollar stock. Going forward, you're talking about mid to high single digit multiple with no debt, producing a ton of cash flow. I'd hold it. I have no problem with it. Thanks for the call. Now keep in mind that today, as always, I'll be providing useful data combined with my unbiased perspective developed with over 20 years of investment experience. So we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes, and we have some, some topics on the docket. 
Now, the first one, the main one, is in regards to protecting your retirement assets from inflation. And we've talked a lot about this, but we're going to go over why it's important in the grand scheme of things, in the planning process of retirement, especially, as well as why the, the type of assets that will hedge you uh, against inflation overall. Also, utilities. This is kind of similar in its uh, discussion. It's about duration assets and dividend-paying assets. Utilities are out of favor. And we're going to talk about why and when they might come back in favor. Also, the AI buzz is starting to face a reality check. And we're going to look at that those numbers. And then lastly, demand for oil continues to go up. And we're going to dig into the data that we're seeing from the major oil watchdogs, shall we say. Yeah, E-I-I-E-A-I. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> All right. Now let's uh, get some, we're going to get some voice banks question, questions. One is on financing large, per, large purchases, as well as the MJ ETF, the ETF MG alternative harvest ETF. And we're going to get to an iTunes review question as well. But now let's take a look at the market performance today. It was a decidedly mixed day. We were down early overall and we rallied for a lot of the day and, and it closed lower pretty much across the board. But a big difference between small caps. Small caps did the worst by far down 1%, sorry, no, 1.98%, nearly 2% on the day. Mid caps down about 1.3%. Broader U.S. market only down about half a percent. So this was a, a day where small caps were definitely out of favor. I didn't see a really a main catalyst for this. But we'll see if there's some follow through going into the next uh, going into this week. You had Hawaiian Electric down big, about 17 percent. Manchester United down 18 percent. We had that crazy VinFast one that was the Vietnamese auto company down about 11 percent. So those are the big losers overall. Big winners: Aurora Innovation, a cannabis company; Getty Images. Yeah, those are kind of the two top ones. All right. So that was the market today, and we have a holiday-shortened week ahead of us, uh, and still kind of the next big thing in the markets, big thing to look forward to, is really the Fed meeting coming up in a couple weeks. Now, as we head into a break, let me tell you about the Invest Talk Classroom series. It is streaming for free right now over on our YouTube channel. The fifth episode is titled, How to Invest in Recessionary Times explores the question, what is recession compared to a financial crisis? So just search the Invest Talk Classroom series. And now my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein talks about the KPP Financial Premium Newsletter. I want to remind you that this is a time where you probably need some guidance and you're tuning in to try to get our view of the markets and we only have an hour here, and, and sometimes the way I distill each day can be maybe not enough, maybe not enough time. And so our premium newsletter is a great tool for especially newer investors trying to learn some things. The KPP Financial Premium Newsletter comes to your mailbox every Saturday. Learn how to analyze the market, learn what the economic numbers mean, learn how to manage a portfolio 
maybe get an idea of what are good companies to be at least looking at. Maybe you don't buy it today, but you should always have a watch list of companies that, hey, these are interesting. These have good businesses. And if they get the right price, maybe I should buy them. So our newsletter is a great tool for that. Subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. I have a question about financing large purchases like a home. You know, one of the reasons that companies use debt is because they're earning a higher rate of return internally than the rate at which they could borrow. Let's take the example of a $350,000 home purchase, for example, and, and assume the person can either pay cash or get a mortgage at 4 to 4.5%. Four if the person can earn an average of 9 to 10% in the S&P 500 over the long term, and let's say they're very secure financially, can afford any payments many times over, wouldn't they be better off taking the mortgage, paying the interest, and investing their money? Just want to get your thoughts on this. Thanks a bunch, and thanks again for all you do. Now, this is one of the most common questions I've received over the last 20-plus years, and that is playing that arbitrage between the financing costs of the, typically a mortgage. Sometimes it can be other things. But typically a mortgage versus, hey, hey, I can earn more just investing in the markets. And... Well, that's certainly true. There are different durations here, as well as risk tolerance levels. Now, when I say duration, it's insurance companies want to do this, right? The demand for that money, as well as lining that up with the investments that you're making. And sometimes that investment might not be liquid enough or mature at the same time as the demand for that capital. So, if you're ever going to do that, you need to make sure that you have duration matching. Now, most people do because it's kind of the, there's not a, an actual goal of when you're going to pull that investment out, but that's something to think about. Number two is you're taking risk. Paying off, paying down a mortgage, a loan of any type guarantees you that return because alternatively, you are not paying that interest. You've guaranteed yourself that you are not paying that interest because you've paid off that loan. Now, when you invest it, is investing guaranteed? No. There's nothing guaranteed about investing. You're taking risk. Everything can go to hell in a handbasket. Certainly possible. Low probability, but it's possible. And so you're not matching really the risk that is appropriate. So there's a balance here. The aggressive thing is taking that risk, not paying down the loan. The conservative thing would be paying down the loan. There also could be a middle ground, paying a little bit extra as well as investing some of it. So gray area, kind of in the middle. So it depends who you are. It depends on your risk tolerance level and the, the, the volatility of your job and your, your income stream. 
All right, now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Can you protect your retirement assets from inflation? Well, let's talk about it and why inflation can be a big deal in retirement, especially new retirees. Now, inflation is one of those things that builds over time. But if you can, if you have a year where inflation is excessively high, especially early in retirement, say like last year, inflation hit what nine percent or so. Just call, let's call it ten percent. That's a big step up. And how inflation works is there's no step backwards unless you're getting deflation, which is fairly rare. So once you have that big step step up, nine ten percent, it builds the inflation going forward builds off that, even if it even goes back down to three or four percent. And that inflation impacts spending for every year going forward. And if your portfolio, for example, didn't keep up with that inflation, which not many people did last year with equity prices down so much, bond prices down so much, yet inflation was up, that is a material impact on the calculations going forward. Because once again, you lagged, your, your, your retirement portfolio lagged big in that one year from inflation, and then inflation builds over time. So you have to close that gap over time. And that can be challenging, especially when you're not investing very aggressively. Now, inflation is different for everybody. The baskets of goods that they use in the government data to measure inflation, almost no one individually has that same basket. That's a general representation of the public. But retirees, for example, they spend more on healthcare. And so what healthcare inflation will be going forward is obviously a, a bigger impact on those retirees than maybe someone who's younger, who doesn't spend much on healthcare. And Retirees also don't have the ability to get a paycheck that is inflation adjusted. For most people, if inflation's high, you can demand a higher raise. But when you're retired, outside of Social Security, you usually don't have that ability, right? Social Security has the COLA adjustments. So the rest of your assets, whether that's a pension, whether that's investment assets, whatever it is, whether it's cash, you need to make sure that's somewhat insulated from inflation. So anything with a fixed payout is going to be susceptible to that inflation risk. So it could be a CD, could be a fixed annuity, could be long duration bonds. You'll find that that higher inflation will gobble up a lot more of that income. So it's worth looking at your total plan to make sure that you are insulated. Now there's obviously tips 
and I-bonds. They were big category killers last year. And that can be a, a decent chunk of your fixed income allocation. Something wrong with that. But the best direct inflation hedge, sorry, not direct, indirect inflation hedge, in hedge would be stocks. Now, year to year, that won't necessarily be the case. But over long periods of time, data is clear. Long time horizons means that equities will keep up and beat inflation. Very high likelihood versus those assets that have fixed payments. So that's why we always say the sectors that do well in an inflationary environment, I'll go back to the five. Basic materials, energy, industrials, financial services, real estate. Those are the five that tend to have, in an inflationary environment, positive real returns that are actually good inflation hedges. Now, we know the current indexes are not set up that way. Now, from a plan level, there are a couple strategies to think about. One is delaying Social Security as long as possible. Why is that? It's because when you have COLA adjustments, the bigger the base that can go off of, right? the, more you, the longer you can wait to get that Social Security payment higher, the better those COLA adjustments will be over time. So that's... I think the best from a plan perspective, best thing you can do. If you have to dig into your portfolio a little bit, it's probably not the worst thing because going back to that previous caller, social security payments are guaranteed. So are the COLA adjustments. So that's a good overview of how to think about how much inflation hedge you should have. And it's important to think about this in this in this environment, we've said this for a while, this is a new regime. You've seen it here with the economy slowing dramatically. Inflation has come back a lot, but we're still much higher than we were pre-pandemic. Closer to 3 to 4% range as opposed to the 1 to 2. And that's an environment that you should probably expect. All right, now the next Invest Talk, we look into the story. Avoid investment mistakes. Avoiding investment mistakes is crucial. Everybody knows that if someone is something is too good to be true, it probably is. Yet every year, millions of investors override their better judgment and buy investments they can't that can't possibly deliver on their promises. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at eight 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 nine nine chart. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, 
It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, I was calling about marijuana ETFs, have MJ. Since I got it, I'm down about 70%. I just wanted to know if you think it's worth uh, staying in it or is it time to cut my losses? Thank you for your help. All right, this is the ETFMG Alternative Harvest ETF MJ. And this has been on a long grind. It peaked out uh, to early 2019, $37 per share. Had a little bit of a rally in late 2020 into early 2021 from, let's see, about $10 all the way to the mid 20s, high 20s. Now we're down to $3.82. But it has started to take off just a week ago. It was trading in the high twos. Now we're in the high threes. So that's a, it's a pretty big move up about 30% in the past week, but it shows you tons of your time frame what type of return you're expecting. Now, here's the thing with the marijuana sector. It's been grinding, as I just said, grinding lower for a couple of years now. Sentiment really, really bad, but... There's some big news, and that is a recommendation. I forgot what, what, which one was it? There was a government agency that recommended that the Biden administration reschedule cannabis from Schedule 1 to, I believe, Schedule 3. This would mean that the there's a lot of ramifications. I don't want to go through all of them. But the point is, it's just starting to move. After multi-year downturn, downtrend that just eviscerated sentiment and positioning. So if you're already holding it, you know, I think you're just starting to see the next wave of hype. And that's what you see here is this is a young industry. The sentiment moves around dramatically. Just look at the history of this ETF. It's very volatile. And the big question really is what will the changes from the White House be and what implications will that have on the sector? This is more of a sentiment trade, though. How big will this move be? How fast will sentiment move? And it's already moved a little bit, but I think there's a long way to go here. So I actually think this is, if you're, if you're a high-risk investor, probably this is the area you want to own it. Just finally, after the doldrums have ended and optimism is just starting, that's typically the best time to be getting into a particular space. So I would actually be holding it for now. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Beirut Don says, I came across an old American company founded in 1933. 
M-Y-E is the symbol, Myers Industries. They're involved in the manufacture and distribution of plastics and metal products. Would you consider buying M-Y-E in the 1650 range? Here's the first thing that stands out for me. I'm just looking at a chart. It's gone nowhere in a decade. It's gone nowhere. September of 20, sorry, 2013, September of 2013, 10 years ago, trading at $19.53. The close is at 1837 today. 1837. Now you've received some dividends over that time, so the actual return is higher than 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 zero. But still not amazing. The return on equity right now is 19% longer term pre-pandemic it was vacillating in the high single digits to the low single digits. Don't love that. Now, what do they do? Uh, I just said they're in the manufacturing of plastics and, and metal products. Typically, that's not, that's, a, that's what I call a price taker. They're making products. They have a lot of competitors and they don't seem based on their longer term profit, profit metrics to have a lot of competitive advantages here. Now, they have applications in industrial, agriculture, automotive, commercial, consumer markets. So a diversified business, but not a particularly great business. And then I look at the chart. Chart is in a downturn. It fell out of bed in March from the mid-20s all the way to right around 20 bucks a share. And it's just been grinding lower, a series of lower highs and lower lows. Now it's at 18.37, the close today. I'm passing on this. I see nothing exciting about the chart, nothing exciting about the business long-term. They don't have a lot of debt is the best thing I could say about the business. So I'm passing on Myers Industries. Thanks for the call or thanks for the review. Now let's talk about the utility sector. And what's interesting here is utilities are by far the worst performing sector in the S&P so far this year but they were the best sector last year. This year, they're down 12%, 12%. And this is very similar to what happened in 1999. Last year, the utility sector was only down 1.4%. Sorry, it wasn't the, the, the best sector last year, uh, energy was but it was one of the best where the SP was down 19% last year. So you, so you see that flip. And the main reason why this is happening is because it is, or the sector in general is a bond proxy. Now, what does that mean? It means that these businesses are a lot more like owning a bond than owning your traditional company. Why is that? A, they pay consistent dividends. And their businesses are, for the most part, they are legislated, meaning they're regulated, regulated businesses. They're allowed to earn a certain profit, and that's negotiated with their local municipalities and their governments, et cetera. And so there's not a whole lot of upside to the business, 
Now, there's some inflation hedge because if the input cost of running the utility goes up, they still earn their profit. And so there's some inflation hedge there to their business. But it's not like they can go out and innovate and create this new product that's a hit with consumers or other businesses, and suddenly their profits are going to double overnight. No. It's about how they negotiate with their local governments, as well as often immigration patterns, both internally and externally. So people moving into the regions that they service. Now, the S&P 500 utility sector has about a 3.4% dividend, which is one of the highest in highest sectors in the S&P. But it's still below the 4.17 you can get from a 10-year treasury. And so if you're looking for income, hey, you're getting better income now from a 10-year treasury than you are from utilities. So why own utilities and not just move that money into the tenure, which is obviously guaranteed. And then you don't have the issues which you saw with Hawaiian Electric, for example, being liable for fires that happened here in, in California with PG&E. And so extreme weather events are adding another level of risk there to their business and liability. Now, once again, this is similar to 1999. Whereas in 2000, remember 99, NASDAQ was up over 100%, SP was up huge, utilities were the worst sector. But in 2000, when the bubble burst, the S&P fell 10%, the utility sector was up 52%. That's where people were moving their money. Now, right now, the utility sector has an, runs at a PE of 16 times, forward-looking earnings. The 10-year average... 17.4. So there's uh, trading on the cheap side. But the big question is, will that swing back if the economy does go into recession next year, which is probably likely look at the jobs numbers, certainly taking that next stair step lower uh, in a slowing economy. And so this is actually a sector that I would say after this bad performance, Kind of the inverse of, of last year, right? Oh, that was the best per sector. Let's go invest in that sector. One of the best sectors. Should I? No, that's not the time you want to invest, invest in that sector. These are the times when you have to think about investing in this sector. Should you do it now? Probably not. But this is where you say, okay, the technical start to improve. You can get that reversion to the mean and get a big move in utilities, just like you did in 2000. All right, now let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888 chart. Hey, Steve and Justin, Bill from Florida here. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on ticker symbols FTAIP and FTAIN, as in the company called FTAI Aviation. Um, both seem to be a fixed income play. Wanted to, A, get your thoughts on if the company is uh, a good company to invest in as of now and if the dividends are sustainable. And also at the same time, which one you guys would pick from the two, FTAIP or FTAIN? Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on these, uh, these two stocks and uh, love what you guys do. Thank you so much. All right, looking at FTAI. Oh, okay, it looks like I'm trying to understand the P and the 
N. Yeah, it looks like you are looking. It looks like you're you're looking for a preferred share. That's what F T A I N versus F T A I P R. I I would really have to dig into each one to say which one is better. And what I will say is I don't love the preferred share space. Preferred shares are in between bond holders and common equity holders. And while they're called preferred shares, so you think that they're a lot like normal shares of a company, they're kind of more like the bonds. And I'll tell you why. Well, it's because they have a fixed income stream. They're paying, the company is paying preferred shareholders a certain payout. So for example, FTAIN is the, looks like an 8.25 fixed rate. That's what it looks like to me. The issue here though, is that most of them are, they don't, they don't have, they have, a, they have an infinite duration, meaning the company can keep them paying that payout forever and you don't get your principal back. And so I don't like the duration aspect there. On top of that, the underlying stock, FTAI, which is FTAI Aviation, their business is doing very well and the stock is doing very, very well. Last fall, this was trading in the mid-teens. Today, it's 37. So it's doubled in a year because the business is going from a loss all the way to $1.62 profit this year. So let's go to $2.10 profit next year for everyone out there. They're in the aviation leasing business. And so they're doing very well. They're, they're coming back from the pandemic. And so the common shareholders, they're capturing that upside. The preferred shareholders, you just get your payout, just like you are a bondholder. But in the instance of a, of a bankruptcy, you're less protected than a bondholder. So when things go really wrong, you're less protected. So I much rather own the equity here. Not to say, I think it's overbought. I think it's probably needs, needs a little breather, but I wouldn't buy either one of the preferred shares to be frank. All right, let's touch a bit on AI and AI startups. And what you're starting to see is the realization that just like most new technologies, it's a lot of hype and not a whole lot of substance. And founders and venture capitalists are starting to realize that. There was optimism in the venture world that commercial AI applications would suddenly materialize quickly. But it's starting to dissipate into a lot of disillusionment. Over the last six, nine months, there's been a lot of new hires, billions of dollars pouring into the sector. And it was all about the initial surge in user growth around chat GPT. The fastest ever adoption of a consumer app. And so there was, just like there was in the 
right after the pandemic, an extrapolation of growth into infinity that was overly optimistic. And usage has waned for a lot of these things. Monthly online visitors to ChatGPT decreased by 10% in both June and July. MidJourney, an AI tool that creates images from user descriptions, that also saw monthly visits decline for three consecutive months ending in July. So May, June, July. Same with Synthesia, a video to text creator, Jasper, a generative AI writing tool. All of them have seen pretty solid user decline over the past few months. So what's happening here is they're moving from, you know, question of how big could this be to how do you make money on it? And that's the issue here. And this is a learning lesson to all of you. The hype is usually not justified in the near term, maybe the long term, but rarely the near term. Are right, we heading into a break? So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Let's go talk to Luke. He is in Wisconsin looking at cognitive... Cognizant Health, Cognizant Technologies, excuse me, CTSH. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Hey, Justin. Yeah, I'm looking to buy this one. Uh, it's been popping up on my screens. looks good from a financial metric standpoint. Just wondering if you have any insight on their business and the sustainability, I guess, of their business model and what you think of the company. Thank you. Well, Cognizant has been around a long time. It's an IT service provider and it's a kind of an IT consultant and outsourcing and they work with some of the largest financial service companies, media companies, communication, healthcare, natural resources, and they employ 300,000 people worldwide. Now, a lot of those are in India, though. 70% of them are in India. So there are some geopolitical dynamics there. Now, India is a young population, fairly well educated for an emerging market country. But if you look at the business of Cognizant, it's never been a fast grower. They have a solid balance sheet, pretty much no debt on its balance sheet. But if you look at earnings, earnings in 2018 was $4.02. Earnings this year is set to be expected to be down 1%. To $4.36 from $4.41 last year. Decent dividend, 1.6%, but zero revenue growth over the last two quarters. And last quarter, earnings fell 4%. The quarter before that, earnings were up 4, 3%. So it's a very slow growth business, but it's a solid business. Return equity in the high teens, and it's been that way for nearly a decade. So I like the consistency of the business, but this is in by, in, by no measure a growth company. 
free cash flow over the trailing 12 months is the same as it was in March of 2018. Despite our economy, world economy becoming more reliant on IT. So I'll say I like the company, but what type of multiple are you willing to pay? Now, longer term, enterprise value to EBITDA averages right around 10. Where is it today? 10.11. So it's fairly valued-ish, maybe slightly undervalued, but that's the best I can say. The technicals are fine. Last earnings report, market liked it, went from... 65 all the way to about 70 has been chopping around there. And, and that's fine. That's a, that's a consolidation period. Nothing wrong with that. So I like the technicals. I like the business, but no, this isn't a growth business. No, what are they? I want to know what they're doing with their cash flow. They're paying out dividend and they're buying back shares. So I like that. That's good. So overall, it's a good company. It's good, but I'm not in love with it. Now let's go to our last topic, and that is in regards to oil demand. And oil demand has started to actually outpace what the major reporting agencies were prognosticating for this year. Now, Standard Charter said gasoline and jet fuel demand have outperformed strongly to start the year. The expectations by the Energy Information Administration had gasoline demand rising 98,000 barrels year over year, and it's outstripped that. And on the diesel side, as well as distillates, that also has been outstripping demand. Okay, so overall production costs have fallen 1% year over year, so that's kind of helped the profitability of the sector. And then maintain, the, the sector maintain their production targets. But daily rig rates are down more than 10%. Costs of steel and diesel also uh, trending lower. So obviously that is helping the industry as a whole. So costs are getting better. Demand is going up. And that's why I think if you look at broadly, the energy sector continues to kind of slowly gain momentum as the imbalances within the uh, supply market write themselves. So as we go into the final you know, stretch of the year, shall we say, last third of the year that we're entering now, the fundamental backdrop of the oil and energy sector continues to remain robust. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review. And now we've surpassed the 55.4 million download mark. Thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. 
InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.